you have your Bible this morning, we're looking at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. So I'll read it. Hear the word of God. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate at a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has a five-roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, (laughs) that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They said to him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, again, we pray that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray um, that we would understand that we we. We experience your common grace. We experience the rain. We experience the sun. We experience the the seasons. We experience all these good things from you, but we ultimately need your special grace or your saving grace. I pray that you would be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen and amen. I thought we'd start this morning with everyone's favorite game. Would you rather... Actually, we, we got the game, Would You Rather, if you guys did, it's like, oh, this game, Would You Rather, and it's so convoluted that you end up just sitting around with your family asking the questions on the cards. How it works is this, you're basically per- given two things that are equally difficult to choose from, but it's sort of would you rather, right? Would, would, would you rather have a head that's two times bigger than your head is now, or a head that's two times smaller, right? Those choices aren't good ones, but you got to pick, okay? So I just grabbed a few. Uh, would you rather go through your whole life being the most hilarious person in the room or being the most intelligent person in the room? Some of us don't have to worry about that. (laughs) Um, Would you rather be stronger than average or smarter than average? Hmm, Right, they're not always easy. Would you rather live in a world with no crime or a world with no privacy? Right, sort of got got the worst of both worlds right now, I think. This one's for kids. Kids, would you rather have nosy parents or strict parents? Take the strict parents. This was one of my favorites. Would you rather fight one bear-sized duck or ten duck-sized bears? (laughs) 
That's like lose-lose, I think. (laughs) This is a hard one. Would you rather lose all your money or all the pictures you've ever taken? Ooh, (laughs) that was creepy, right? For the last one, would would you rather be financially secure but never walk again or live in poverty but have perfect health? Okay. Let me read that one again, or, or say that again. Would you, would you rather be financially secure, but never walk again, or live in poverty with perfect health? We'll see. Why did I, ask, why did I end with that question? You see, that question is really the question at, at some level that's at the, the center of this text. Does this, this Jesus asked me, do you want to be healed? Would you, would you rather live like this, or would you rather live like that? So if you remember, so, so far as we've been looking at the Gospel of John, John is basically, Jesus has these encounters, one after the other with people. And last week, we, or the week before Easter, we looked at this encounter he had with a Jewish official about his son. And the man wanted his son healed, and Jesus healed his son. And do you remember the, the way that that ended was Jesus healed the man's son, and when the man saw that he had healed his son, verse 53 of chapter 4, it says the father knew that was the hour that Jesus had said to them, your son will live, and he himself believed in his whole household. Okay? So Jesus healed this boy, and it resulted in belief. The question is, what is it going to result in with this man that we, we encounter today, who I'm going to call Earl, for lack of a better uh, terminology. So basically we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at a simple question, we're going to look at a serious warning, and then finally a dangerous claim. Okay? Simple question, serious warning, and a dangerous claim. So first, right, if you consider the context that, that Jesus has just come from healing this other man, this man's son, he is now back in Jerusalem for some feast. We don't know what feast that is. And the story picks up in verse 1. It says, Now there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. So here's, here's what we know about that place, this, this pool called Bethesda. So for one, we know that it actually exists. Like archaeologists have, have uncovered it. So this, this place exists and we know that the pool exists and the colonnades exist and we also know that no, there's no documentation of anyone ever being healed there. Like usually those kind of places, even, even ancient writers will say, oh, that pool is known for people being healed and things like that. No documentation whatsoever. So, the, so there's no evidence that anyone has ever been healed at that pool. And on top of that, part of the, it's part of a spring that bubbles up occasionally. So you can see how a legend would happen, you know, right? That, that this thing bubbles up occasionally and people come and, and the angel stirs up the water. You'll notice, at least in, in the ESV Bible, it goes from verse 3 to verse 4. I mean, verse 3 to verse 5. That's because they, they basically, verse 4 was something that ancient scribes sort of made up because they, they wanted it to be true, that, that angels came and stirred the water. And most of the manuscripts in the New Testament don't have that. And so the ESV said, we're not going to put that in there. So that's, all that information is important, right? That the place existed, that, there's, that no one, so far as we know, had ever been healed by those waters, and basically that it's part of a natural spring. Now, in verse 3, you see this. It says, in these, in this pool, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, 
and paralyzed. Okay, so it's important also to notice that there are the, the place is full of people who are blind, lame, paralyzed. Many people are laying in the pool. Now the question is, why are they all congregating there if no one is ever healed? In other words, why would the lame, the lame and the, the, the paralyzed and the blind, why would they keep coming to the same place day after day if no one ever got healed there? And the answer is pretty easy, is that begging in the ancient Near East was a pretty good living. So if you could go and persuade people that you, you were a, a sad case, people necessarily would give you money, and especially this one guy named Earl. Like, Notice verse 5. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Sir, do you want to be healed? So you, you could tell Earl's a little shady, right? right? Just if you, if you read closely. So for one, he'd been coming to that pool for a long time. No one ever gets healed, but he'd been coming there for a long time. We don't know if he'd been coming there all 38 years, but Jesus says it was a long time. He'd been coming there, and he's not laying in the water either. So, so in other words, if he really believed that he might get healed by that pool, he would actually go there and get in the water and just lay in the water every day until the water bubbled up and he got healed. He doesn't. He just goes there. And so you notice when I read the text this morning, when I, when I asked the question, as it seems that Jesus would have a little bit of like, hmm. In, in other words, the, what, what he was probably doing at the pool is he's probably just, he makes a good living by laying there and per, either pretending to be lame or the fact that he is lame or pretending that he wants to be healed. And on one hand, that's, you think, man, who would do that? Who would, who would spend their whole life going to a pool and pretending like they are lame in order just to other people to give them money? And, you know, it's a lot more common than you think. I remember when Judy and I first moved to, to Seattle, we were planting a church in Capitol Hill, and I was almost, I was, from time to time, I felt almost overwhelmed by homeless people asking for stuff until I saw a documentary. It was by Como. It was one of the local news things where they followed around one guy for one day. And he sat on the corner, and people were just giving him tons of money, and he had the we'll work for food sign. And then at the end of the day, and they had this all on secret camera, he would go and he would get in a Toyota Camry and he would drive home. And he did that day after day after day. And finally they caught up with them, and he didn't want to talk to them, and eventually he agreed to interview. And they said, why do you do this? And he said, why wouldn't I? He said, I make as much as a Boeing engineer, and I don't do anything. Right? So... If you, if you could stomach that, if you, if, you, if, you don't, you know, if you don't have the honor, whatever it is, people do it, and they make good money. And so basically when Jesus comes, he's challenging this guy's living. He's challenging everything about him. And by the way, the word invalid here, in the New Testament, it can mean two things. It can mean someone who is, is physically challenged, or it can mean someone who's morally challenged. I think Earl's a little bit of both. And Jesus is going to basically intervene into that. Notice what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, do you, do you want to be healed? Now, depending on the inflection of your voice, right, you can be, the way I read it is like, do you, do you want to be healed? Do you, do, you, do you actually want to be healed? Like, you come here, you don't get in the water, you don't do anything. You, what are you doing? Do you want to be healed? And notice that the question, by the way, is bigger than, do you want to be saved? Right? If you ask anybody, do you want to be saved? 
Ask an atheist, do you want to be saved? And they say, yeah, if there's God, I guess I do. Everyone wants to be saved at the end of the day. That's not what Jesus is asking here. I mean, salvation might be included in it, but what he's asking here is, do you want to be better? Another translation here could be, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be restored? Do you want to be redeemed to what the way things ought to be? Earl, do you, do you want to be the way that you were created to be? Do you want to, do you want to live out your destiny? Do you, want, do you want the best life? And Earl can answer basically three ways. First way he can answer is he can say, yes! He says, I, I sit by this pool every day and I think about my high school sweetheart and how I'd love to dance with her someday and I can't dance and I would love for you to heal me if you could do that. Or he could just say, no, I like things the way they are. I like coming here and, and pretending that I'm worse than I am and getting other people's money and taking their money from them and not having to do any work and then going home. And I feel great about that. Well, he can't just say that, right? Because if he said that, people would say, mm, that's pretty lame. I'm not going to give you money. So what does he do? The, the only other option, if he's not going to say yes or no, is he evades. Did you notice he didn't answer the question? Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered, <laughs> oh boy, sir, I have no one to put me down into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Now, if Jesus was anyone else, Jesus would have walked away. Or if Jesus was me, fortunately he's not, he'd say, why do you come here at all? Why, if, you, if, you, if, if, if there's no one, in 38 years, you haven't found one person to bring you down in that pool. If for me, I'd probably not come anymore. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus calls him on it. And Jesus does something that's shocking. Jesus does something here that, as far as I can tell, he doesn't do anywhere in the rest of the New Testament. Is basically, he heals this man without reference to his faith or without reference to his belief or even without his desire. Earl's not looking to be healed. Earl likes life the way it is. Earl likes the, the sitting by the pool and basically lounging all day, and other people giving him money, him not having to do anything. And Jesus intervenes into that and heals him. And basically, his lack of faith or knowledge, it doesn't stop Jesus from showing him mercy. He just doesn't know it's mercy yet. In other words, Jesus, you hear me say every Sunday that Jesus always initiates with sinners. This is a very tangible evidence of that. Jesus is doing it with Earl. Earl, get up. You're healed. I'm making you well. He shows him very common grace. And Earl's, basically, Earl has experienced physical healing without inward transformation. Right? In, in theologians talk about common grace and special grace. And common grace is the grace from God that we all experience, everyone, whether you're a Christian or not. You experience the sun, you experience you, you know, love, you experience all of these things, whether you're a Christian or not. Special grace is grace that transforms you from the inside out. And what Earl has, has experienced here, it looks like, is very special common grace. He hasn't, been, he hasn't been inwardly transformed, but he has been healed. And the question is, what is that going to lead to? With the, with the Jewish official in the last chapter, it actually led to faith in Jesus. That he's seen, he had seen what Jesus had done. He had seen the power of Jesus. He had understood, and that led him to actually believe in Jesus and lead his whole family to Jesus. And so where's it going to lead him? And also, it's important to notice that it says now, you almost could hear the, like, the villain music, dun, dun, dun. Now that day was a Sabbath, which leads us to a serious warning. 
Uh, look, look at verse 10. It says, So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. So notice here that the Jewish, the, the Jews, and remember I've told you that when John uses the term Jews, he doesn't mean sort of the race, he means the Jewish leadership, that they're, they're more concerned that this man is carrying something than that he has been healed. Right? The Jews had 39 different categories of, or ways you could break the Sabbath, and one of the ways was carrying something because they considered it to be work. Technically, it's not in the Old Testament, but that didn't really matter. And so they come to him, and they start berating him. And they basically say, why are you doing this? It's a Sabbath. It's not lawful. You're breaking the law. And he said, and of course, Earl, invalid that he is morally, he just said, oh, that guy told me to do it. He's a blame shifter. And so he, he says, someone else told me to do this. And so the Pharisees, they want to know, well, who, who's that guy then? They, they ask him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? And now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. So basically, they are coming to him, and they're, they're sort of trying to strain the gnat out, right? And th- this passage always reminds me of when I was a, in, in college, I was a server at the Olive Garden in Tallahassee, Florida, Florida State. And on Friday and Saturday nights, that place was mayhem. It was crazy. If you have ever worked in a restaurant, especially like a super busy restaurant, the alley, which is like back where the kitchen is, it is mayhem. People running back and forth and people screaming orders and cooks screaming things and everyone. And we had a new young assistant manager. And in the middle of all this mayhem and people are trying to get their stuff done, he's grabbing people and saying, hey, I need you to to polish the tops of the salt shakers. And at some point, he did that to, to a, a young girl, and she started crying. And, and I pulled him aside, and I was like, hey, Carl, can I talk to you for a second? And he's like, well, sure. And I took him aside, and I said, you ever been in the Army? He said, no. And I said, what you're doing right now, it, what it looks like to me, it, it looks like a lieutenant who's telling people to shine their shoes in the middle of a firefight. That, that, that doesn't seem right, does it? He's like, well, no. <laughs> and I said, you know, if you actually help these people... Instead of, instead of made their, put extra burdens on them, you could finish the night as a hero instead of being the villain. And he said, really? Just trust me on that. He went out and he was taking food out and he was, yeah, he is a hero. But I mean, the servers want to take him on his shoulders. He was a Pharisee at the beginning of the night. <laughs> he got it by the end of the night. In, in other words, the Pharisees, they, they can't even see the miracle in front of them. They can't see what's going on in this passage. All they care about is this little narrow view of like who's obeying the law and who's not obeying the law. And they want to go after him. And it's interesting um, that they sort of let Earl off the hook. Right? They, at some point, they realize there's a bigger fish here. There's a bigger fish than the guy who's carrying. We can actually get the guy who's telling people to carry. And if we can get him, mm, mm, mm. And so they let Earl off the hook, it looks like. But here's the thing, Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't let him off the hook. And what's interesting is Jesus does, again, something here that I haven't seen in the rest of the New Testament, is Jesus seeks this guy out in the temple. Notice what it says. It says, now the man, or in uh, verse 14, it says, afterward, later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So it's interesting that Earl clearly doesn't get it. And Jesus 
go, seeks him. Remember, the, the Jesus defined his own mission in Luke 19.10. What, what is his mission? It's to seek and save that which is lost. Earl is still lost, and Jesus seeks out Earl in the temple. Interestingly enough, Earl is lost, but Earl's religious. Jesus finds him in the temple. Earl is lost, even though he's in church, right? Just because you go to church doesn't necessarily mean you get it. Just because you go to church doesn't necessarily mean you're a Christian. Jesus seeks Earl and says to him, number one, he reminds him of what has happened. See, you are well. In other words, that was the carrot. Let me give you the stick. (laughs) He says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Is he threatening him? I mean, it sounds like a threat, or maybe better yet, is he threatening him with, with some kind of physical harm, right? Is he sort of thug Jesus, right? Like, hey, Earl, right? Hey, for something bad to happen to you, <sighs> or is he, you know, he's going to do something bad. That's not, he's not talking about that. What he's probably getting at is eternal judgment, that Jesus never equates one, you know, like, oh, you, you, you. You sinned, you watched something bad on television, therefore you broke your leg the next day. That's not how it works. Jesus is saying, you need to turn, you need to repent of your sins before something worse happens because ultimately you're going to have to face the judge. Ultimately, you're going to have to stand before the one who, who will judge you. And basically, unless he repents, it's not going to fare well for him in the end. That this is a warning, but it's a warning born out of the mercy of Jesus, if it's true. And the same is true for us, basically. Are we going to turn from our sins and, and, and run to Jesus, or will we make excuses of the rest of our lives? I remember like when our, our children were young, and if you, anyone who's been a parent, you wonder, oh, did I do the right thing, or should I have done more of this, or should I done, should have done more than that? And I would, I would always remind my wife that, Judy, we had to try the best, and when our girls someday stand before Jesus, he's not going to accept any excuses, even the excuse, I had crappy parents. It's not going to work. And so, does God use means and good parenting? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, there is no excuse. We either put our faith in Jesus, or we don't put our faith in Jesus. We either trust him for the forgiveness of sins, or we don't trust him for the forgiveness of sins. And it's a process. We trust him more and more, but do you trust him at all, I guess, is the question. Earl is confronted with that. We are confronted with that. Basically, how we, we all experience common grace, but special grace. How do you know if you're experiencing special grace? Is you, you'll feel you want, to, you want to turn to Jesus. And if you don't know how, if you need someone to help you, every Sunday after church, we have deacons up here who would love to talk to you about that, who would love to pray with you, who would love to, to help you to know Jesus. And basically, that Jesus can heal anyone because he's not just a man. He's also God. And that's where the text goes next. Because if some, in some sense, you can say, well, who, who are you to tell me something worse is going to happen, though, Jesus? Well, if you knew who I was, that's where it goes next. Notice what happens as we, we finish up with this dangerous claim, verses 15 to 18. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, 
because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I mean, verse, verse 15 is amazing. The man went away and told the Jews there was Jesus who had healed him. Like, we, we, I should have been calling him Judas this whole time, not Earl. So he goes, like, how does he respond to the threat of Jesus? He goes to the people who, who are basically can persecute Jesus, who can get rid of Jesus. And they begin to persecute him. It says basically that they went out and told the Jews, this is why they were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. Persecuting there means probably something like verbally accosting him. They were, they were attacking him verbally. And what's interesting is what Jesus says to them. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working and that just like set them off. That just like that was the end of it. Why was that such a, a threatening thing to them? It's, it says at the end they they did they wanted to kill him because he was making himself equal with God. How did that one statement make Jesus equal with God? And it, ha- it has to do with the Sabbath. Because you know, remember, if you think about the Sabbath, there is one person who is above the law with regard to the Sabbath. That's God. Because if you look at creation, it says that God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. And that's true, he rested, but he rested from works of creation, not from works of providence. In other words, he created everything, but someone still had to, to keep everything in move, motion. Someone had to still govern all the creatures and all the actions. So in some sense, God rested from his works of creation, but he didn't work from showing mercy to his creation by holding everything together. And what Jesus is saying, my father rested from the works of creation, but he still holds everything together. He's working. I'm doing the same thing. In other words, God is not only above the law, I'm also above the law. And they said, well, the only way you can do that is if you're equal with God. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> Bingo, you got it. <laughs> right? And they didn't like that. And it became a dangerous claim. It was dangerous for Jesus to claim that he had the same privileges and the same prerogative as God. Why was it dangerous for Jesus to claim that? Well, it's dangerous for Jesus to claim that because it would end up killing him. It would end up in his crucifixion. It would end up in his death. It would end up with him bearing a curse for all of mankind. Why is it it's dangerous for us too? It's dangerous for us too because we can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to, to be crucified on our behalf. Jesus claimed that when he rose from the dead, it was on our behalf. And what must we do? We must put our faith in him. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this morning that um, if there's anyone here who might be shaken from their earlness <laughs> to, to see that they actually need Jesus, that you would do that. That you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. That you would show special grace this morning. Christ's name we pray these things. Amen and amen.